1: Pace with Alex and Fauci Alex and Fauci Alex and Alex If I put our jacks in the paint How you gon' stop me? How you gon' stop me? We can go head to head Call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Dorte, Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton run the point this is a benedict for the shot if anybody gonna come in the post then we got jalen smith for the block setting the pace going to the top setting the pace going to the top this is your number one podcast sweeping every team we going need a mop Smooth. what is going on everybody welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace and joining me is one half of the great show mike and molly mike Fochi, Foch. what's
2: going on brother Man, that is one way to introduce myself that I never thought would happen. Um, So, yeah, man, I'm here to talk some pacer basketball. But, Alex, this is a very unique type of episode. You know, this ain't really about what's going on on the court, but a lot of what went off off the court. Now, recently, Victor Oladipo, a guy that, you know, we used to be uh, quite fond of, had a pretty interesting thing to say on Twitter that that created a lot of buzz. So you want to kind of paint the picture of how this
1: started Man, it was so random. Um, It was on August 9th, and uh, a a faithful Pacer listener, Kayla's View, she wrote this. She said, I act like I'm okay, but deep down I miss Oladipo. And she was, quote, tweeting a tweet from 2018 on February 9th. So really interesting here. Well, somebody replied, and they basically said, I miss the version of Vic we had. Can't say I miss who he eventually became. And Victor Oladipo is tagged in this. And this is probably around uh twelve twenty in the morning on August 10th. So this is Tuesday morning or excuse me, Wednesday morning, super late and you know early into the morning about twelve twenty. And Oladipo replied around like two thirty in the morning, Fachi. And what did he have to say?
2: He said, trust me, I'm the same VO, just a little wiser. Eventually the realization has to surface that the players can't always be the problem. Think about it. PG, VO, DS, and more with you know an emoji like a thinking emoji. I love y'all, Pacer fans, and miss y'all more. Don't believe everything you you read. All that shh, is delusional.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, to where where do we even start? I think it would be smart to go back to, you know, the whole Paul George thing. Why Paul George left. How this whole thing came to fruition. And I think it's pretty obvious if you look at things from Paul George's standpoint. You can kind of understand and put the puzzle pieces together of why Paul George ended up leaving Flashy. Um, When he was on this team in 2010-2011, they made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. They had a very competitive series against the Bulls, ended up losing in five games. But the next year, they had a really good run, uh, took the heat to six games in the second round, and then they made back-to-back appearances in the East Finals. So Paul George, right away, was thrown into the mix, and the team was really awesome. He gets injured. And they basically trade everybody away, and things start getting a little bit different for them. So I think at the beginning of the 2015 uh, season is where we should start. And this is where Larry Bird wanted Paul George to play the four. Uh, I thought, you know, moving forward, be more modernized. Paul George would be a perfect fit. But Paul was not about that. We've joked about that. We know about that. And so that season, they had, you know, different people plugging in there. You know, CJ Miles talked about playing the four a little bit there. And they just tried different guys at it. But eventually that led them to trading for Thad Young offseason to get that starting power forward, but it didn't get any better because Paul George's best friend, George Hill, was then traded that same offseason to the Utah Jazz in a three-team trade that landed the Pacers' Jeff Teague. And so when Larry Bird talked about this, he basically just said, Paul doesn't make the decisions around here. And I think we all remember that quote from Larry Bird pretty well, Foch.
2: It, we definitely do. And look, it just felt like when that came out there, it was like, I know he doesn't make the decisions around here, but we got a potential star over here. And I think we got to involve him in some things. And the Pacers really, I mean, Larry Bird, whether you want to call him old school, which I think is probably the way to say it, uh, you know, he just was not about that. That no guy was going to be above the team. But I know you started from 2015, but I started thinking about it. What reminds me of the earliest sign is when the Pacers traded his mentor and veteran locker room leader, Danny Granger, they did Granger wrong, man. I mean, Granger rehabbing, working his way back. The Pacers sent him to the the trust-the-process 76ers, like one of the worst blatantly tanking teams in NBA history. And I remember – you know Paul George was pissed about that we we've, we've read about it and it just feels like that was like the the first crack in it but at the same point hey it paves the way for him to have a bigger role so i think that kind of led into you know w- what you're talking about right over there in 2015 and 2016 or so yeah. one quick thing i want to touch on before i go back to what you mentioned is and maybe it's small maybe it's nothing but i remember Larry Bird also saying that miles turner can go down as the greatest pacer of all time Meanwhile, Paul George is an all-star entering his prime on the Pacers at the time. So Mm. you make that comment, which, sure, that's not going to be that big of a deal. But then you do the things like, well, Paul George doesn't make the decisions around here. Now it really feels like, man, do they? how do they view him? And do they really include him in anything?
1: Yeah, I think we can just, based off of that comment alone, we can say Larry Bird had a... (laughs) Didn't have maybe the best eye for drafting uh, players. I think he said Willie Cauley-Stein was a $100 million player as well.
2: That was, that was a tough one. Yeah,
1: so for him to say that Miles would be the greatest pacer of all time, I mean, come on now. Uh, I don't really know where he got that from. But, I mean, every time you hear these presidents and GMs talk about draft picks, we always talk about it. They always overhype him, right? Always. Always. And they're trying to convince themselves. I mean, Miles definitely had some skill sets that you like in a modern right. big man, but at the same time, like, it's hard to say that when you've already got PG right there. And I think that's a good point. So like you said, I I think Paul was just kind of frustrated with that old school approach. And then we started hearing PG voice his frustrations with the media. Um, Constantly. It felt like he was in trade rumors in 2016, 2017 leading up into the all-star weekend and the trade deadline, because at this point all-star weekend was right before the trade deadline before they had eventually Mm -hmm. switched it over. And one of the teams, that was heavily rumored to be going after Paul George was the New Orleans Pelicans. And they were the team that hosted the all-star game that year. Paul George, very frustrated that his name's in, in trade rumors and he's not hearing anything about it. I remember him saying in an interview, he went to the front office and said, what's going on. His agent went to him and they said, you're not in trade rumors. You're not in trade rumors. And then like two or three days later, there he is again. So we know though, that trade rumors can come from both parties. It might not have been the Pacers even entertaining the call. But let's just say a team called and said, we want Paul, whatever. And it gets out to the media. It can still upset a guy. And I think this is why, if you look forward, why Kevin Pritchard in his era has been so over with their players when they're involved in stuff. I think they learned a little bit from past mistakes, but with that being said, the team was subpar. They were struggling to be serious, you know, a serious threat in the East. And, but they had a bigger issue. Paul George now is becoming disgruntled Faji. and, That's the last thing you really won in this twenty seventeen season, which is going to be Paul George's last year on the team. He's very he's very disgruntled. And so the trade deadline passes, you know, Paul's still a member of the Pacers. And then the Pacers go on to make the playoffs only because they bring in Lance Stevenson for five games to help them get over the hump. They end up closing the season, I think, five and one to make the playoffs. They're a seventh seed, and they lose in a sweep by a total of sixteen points to the Cavaliers. And uh our guy, CJ Miles, just talked about this with you on the podcast. And that game one, he took that shot and Paul was not happy about that. So I think if you kind of look at it from there, like everything was just leading up to a boiling point with Paul where he was just one foot out, one foot in, and he could fake it, but we all could tell Paul was not fully invested like he previously had been.
2: Yeah, you could definitely see it. And the whole like I gotta take that shot then is like no offense to Paul George, but Paul George at that point had not had a game-winning shot. I want to say <laughs> he was at 0-for-15 like or something like that. You know, the, the closest thing he had a game-winning shot was the Gatorade commercial he was in where he was sipping the Gatorade, hitting the game-winning shot. So, Ball you know, game. at this point, there were so many comments coming in there, like like little things at the press conference that kind of felt like he was – you know starting to get above the team, or maybe you know not really picking his teammates up a, as much as before. So it definitely started to become evident. Where I remember one of the one of the trades, and I know you mentioned the Pelicans, but I also remember when the Atlanta Hawks were offering where I want to say it was like three first round picks. And I know they weren't great picks, but I remember that also really rubbing them wrong. And it just felt like it was like, what are the Pacers supposed to do if this guy that you know isn't happy? But it felt like that you know, once those trade rumors really started, it was really hard to ever get back on the same page. And and I don't think the Pacers and Paul George ever really did.
1: No, and I agree with that. And, you know, Paul has made some kind of comments since being traded and saying you're all, you know, booing the wrong person. And, you know, it's really interesting because it it feels like he's kind of like got some animosity towards Larry Bird. That's what it felt like it was directed at. But at the same time, in the final year of his contract, Larry Bird decides he's going to step away and not be the president of basketball operations anymore, so Kevin Pritchard ends up taking over. And I remember there was a report that said because of that you know, Larry Bird stepping down, Paul didn't trust the front office moving forward. So I wonder, you know, it's it's just kind of weird, like the, that dynamic. I wonder if Paul just had so much respect for Larry because of who he was as a player that he wasn't going to badmouth them until – after the fact, right? Um, He trusted him enough, I guess, that he could talk to him. I don't know. It just just felt very weird. But at this point, I mean, obviously, everybody knows, we've heard this multiple times from Paul George, that he told the front office that Anthony Davis wanted to be a pacer. And he wanted them to go out there and get him. And he said that he wasn't going to say the players' names, but they wanted to go after two other guys. Well, this is just something I've heard. I'm not saying it's sourced out there, but the two players that I've always heard that it was, and this has been a couple of years ago, I've heard this, was Gordon Hayward and Danilo Gallinari. So I can understand why Paul George is a little bit frustrated that they'd rather go after Hayward and Gallinari than, than go after Anthony Davis. Because at that time, everybody thought Anthony Davis could be the best player in the league eventually. So I understand those frustrations going into that final contract year. And as much as I, I like Gordon Hayward, especially at that time in his career, it would have been interesting, and he still had that connection to Boston. So we're not even sure they would have gotten him, right? So I can see his frustration. So after all that said and done, the celebrity softball game that everybody knows about, at Victory Field. You know, Paul's interviewed there. All the speculation if he wants to leave. He said, "No, I want to win a championship in Indiana." And then, like two days later, it might even have been a day later. I can't I remember. Think it was this... a
2: day, to be honest. It yeah. was it was
1: bad. It was it looked really bad. His agent informs the team that he is requesting a trade. And if I'm not mistaken, Focci, the the front office found out about this the same way all the fans did Yeah, New Woj on social media. Mm
2: -hmm. Yep. It was was real bad because obviously you love hearing your star player say, I want to bring a championship here. But then it just basically looked like this guy had no idea what to say as he's being interviewed at this celebrity softball game. And, you know, everyone was taken back by Storm because at that point, it killed his trade value. Yeah. Killed it. I had no idea where the Pacers were going to go at that point. And it really seemed like it was like, man, there's there's not a lot of trade offers out there because everybody knows he's in the last year of his deal, wants out. They could just wait this out. And I, I thought it was a really bad position to put the organization in.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, Paul had to do what was best for him. and I get it. And at this point, he had done a good job of not joining super teams, if you know what I'm saying. Like, did his best. I mean, almost took down the heat. We were very close multiple times in those series. You know, maybe the last one, it wasn't as close, but it sure felt like, you know, in 2012, 2013, we were going to, we had a good chance. And even in 2011, 2012, that's that six game series in the second round, man, that was a close one too. And that's when Danny was still healthy and at his prime. So to me, it was just one of those things where Paul gave us seven good years. He took us to the playoffs. I think every single season except the year he was injured.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And even that was within a game. So, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> and, and he came battling back like he didn't complain about it. Like he, he was scared. Like you, you could tell he looked like he was a little nervous out there. So, I don't really blame Paul for wanting to leave, especially looking at the rosters that were assembled. I mean, no, no offense to some of these guys, but like Jeff Teague, Monte Ellis, Thad Young, uh, you know, your rookie and Miles Turner. Um, I
2: love me some big Al love him. Hey, yeah. Friend of the show. But that's just not the talent that you surround a star with and and, and sell him on. You can win here because that team, I mean, Jeff Teague was, was already past his prime. And after that, there was not much left and and same with a lot of these players. So uh, I I could understand the frustration of when you have a a chance to bring in another star like Anthony Davis, and you say, man, we're really looking to go for a Gallinari. It it just it says <laughs> a lot. So at that point, you know, I'm sure it's a laundry list, but you got to also say the Pacers did make some mistakes here, and they do have to share some of the blame.
1: Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, Kevin Pritchard really didn't have much to go out and get. Anthony Davis. The only way he's getting Anthony Davis is if he trades Paul George. Okay. So there goes that pairing, right? For
2: every pick that we would have owned for like five years, you know, basically. but even
1: then who says the Pelicans do it? I can't, mean, can't wh- guarantee it. No, I mean the best player you had to offer at that time was miles Turner plus all your picks. Who else? I mean, you had to have salary to match it as well. Cause I think the Pacers were uh, over the cap at that point, if I'm not mistaken. So or right there by it. So they would have had to have figured something out there to get players back. But anyway, with that being said, Paul George leaves pretty much the rest is history. You know, there's that bad blood between him and the front office. And, you know, Kevin Pritchard talks about the gut punch whenever he's there. Cause he was upset and he regretted saying that, but he was being raw. He was being real. And he was just frustrated that Paul didn't give him the chance to prove that he could get a better team assembled around him. And I think by the moves that, you know, KP made, even in the, even though they were trying to rebuild the moves that he made in the, the roster that he put around the Depot team was a little bit deeper and more talented and fit, you know, a position, you know, it fit the more modern NBA in terms of getting guys that could shoot like Jeff Teague and Monte Ellis were not good three-point shooters. And then you put Thad Young out there with them, you didn't have any, you know, really great floor spacing out there for Paul. So I get why the paces were frustrated, but at the same time, you know, KP didn't have to say what he said. He didn't say it was a gut punch. He didn't have to say anything like that. And like you said, the way Larry
0: Burr probably handled things was not good. So... Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Now we fast forward to Victor Oladipo. Okay, obviously, he's acquired in the trade for PG. And Focci, t- tell us about that first year here with uh, the Pacers and Victor Oladipo.
2: It was magical. It really was. 2017, 2018, I'll I'll never forget it because I always remember they picked us to finish below the Orlando Magic. And I was like, my God, how are you going to lump us in that category? The Pacers come out. They're expected to win. It was like roughly like 32 games. They end up having a a really solid year that no one expected it. Oladipo's most improved player. He's an all-star. He's third-team All-NBA. I mean, he makes a defensive team. I mean, it was just... It was a magical, really fun year, and we thought to ourselves, hey, we found a guy that went to IU, a guy that wants to be here, a guy who's saying, this is my city. It seemed like, how could this go wrong?
1: Exactly, and that's what was so crazy. It's like, and we can determine if he was actually saying my city or not, (laughs) (laughs) Fachi. but I think everybody really knows what he was saying there, so we don't have to repeat it, but you know, it was it was a great year for him and I remember it was like watching him come to the press conference at game 7 and talking about, you know, you know, was he going to be a one-hit wonder? He said no, I'm going to be a Michael Jackson, right? Remember that comment? Yeah. I forget the song they used for like a one-hit wonder song, but basically like Oladipo was like, "No, this isn't going to be a one-year thing. This is going to be me moving forward. I am going to be a star." You know what I'm saying? Everybody's excited the next offseason, you know, the Pacers uh Go out and get Doug McDermott, Tyreek Evans. It's not a great, great offseason. It no, was okay. No, it wasn't. But at the same time, they pretty much had their same roster intact. So they felt like with growth internally, they could develop and get a little bit more of a scoring guard off the bench. I mean, the idea of Tyreek Evans versus who he actually was is pretty good. But anyway, Oladipo starts off the year pretty well, right? And then in December he goes down with that knee injury and he misses about a couple weeks. Fachi, I'm not sure the exact timeline on that. I probably could have looked it up, but with that being said, he's out for a few weeks, and it just felt like, okay, is this a long term issue? If you know what's going to happen, so he ends up coming back, and when he comes back, he played pretty good still, but you could tell he was kind of grabbing at his knee every once in a while. You weren't sure like what's going on. And then all of a sudden, in January, I believe it was the 20th. It might have been 23rd. I can't remember the date. They're playing the Toronto Raptors, and this is when the injury happens and Oladipo is done for the season. Okay, this is where I think things first got bad in the relationship. I mean, Oladipo and the Pacers, because a lot of reporting has said that they kind of pushed him to come back earlier than he wanted to, and he felt the pressure to do it. So he returned early from that injury maybe or maybe it was healthy but it wasn't fully healthy and uh he could have waited a couple more weeks but he just wanted to get back out there whatever i think he lost trust in the medical staff at that point which allowed um which caused some friction i think but it, the pacer's also tried to do right on their part by allowing him to rehab in miami miami faji so um he's away from the team now and i think this is where things really get interesting
2: No, it really is. Because also, you know, to take us even back, I remember we had, it was like his like videographer came on our show, his Corey, whatever it is, like he came on our show years ago and was talking about how he would go down to Miami and Vic was spending a lot of time down there. And I want to say this was even before we got hurt. So Miami was already a place that he was spending a lot of time in the off season. And then also to be able to do his rehab down there, clearly, you know, he was really liking Miami. But one thing that was interesting, I mean, the Pacers make the playoffs. Oladipo's in there, Miami. We talked about, it. you know, he's not with the team. And we were wondering when he was going to be with the team. Claims misses a flight. You know, it just kind of felt like it was like, hmm, I really just feel like when is he going to return to the sidelines? So you're already experiencing a bit of, you know, distance going on. And in that offseason, you know, obviously things don't work out, uh, you know, in that series against the Celtics. Just just a rough a rough series. You know, the Pacers go out, they get Malcolm Brogdon assigned trade. You get TJ Warren. So now you're looking at, you know, Brogdon, Warren, Oladipo, Sabonis, Turner. I mean, this is now that that five that we're like, when we get this five out there, it's going to be awesome. But, you know, Oladipo still yeah. taking some time to rehab, still, you know, it's going on, but they allow him to compete in the mass singer competition, which Alex, I thought was awesome. Now we're letting someone be a star you know, it, like having them have those resources to be able to, you know, still be a star in a smaller market. But, you know, it still just felt like, uh, you know, overall, well, when are we going to get him back? This is stretching to about a year or so. And that's pretty much what it took. He made his, his debut about a year later. It, it might have been, it was about a year and a lot of changes then.
1: Yeah, it could have been, I think it was January 29th, actually, against the Chicago Bulls. I might have had the dates wrong here when I sent the information over to you in terms of going, you know, going through the details. But yeah, I mean, one of the things that was interesting, too, is that um, I forget who said this, but I've heard it before on a podcast, maybe, or like someone talking to me, like, and, you know, you know, off recording, right? Basically, they thought Oladipo was ready to return earlier that season, probably like October, no November, and and he pushed it back all the way to January. And because of that, you know, trust issue that he previously had with the medical staff, they were not pushing him. They were kind of allowing him to do his thing, but internally they were kind of frustrated that he was on the mass singer to a certain degree. I think someone actually reported there was people in the front office frustrated with it. Now, who who was frustrated with it? I don't know, but I agree with you. I, I liked that they allowed him to do it because it made him stay relevant, something he loves to do. We know he's a big singer. He loves the sing. He's got his own albums out there. You know, really talented guy. So didn't have a problem with that. But, of course, you know, he comes back, and the Pacers are, you know, playing pretty well that season. They're, they're trying to get themselves into, you know, one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference for the playoff race, and then all of a sudden COVID happens, right? This is where things even get more complicated with Oladipo because we know that teams are going to have to come back eventually that are in playoff contention to play in the NBA bubble, but Choms reports that Oladipo is not going to play. And this is where everybody gets fresher. They're like, oh, he's quitting on the team. He doesn't want to be here. He's got one year left, I think, in his contract year after this. So he just wants to get, you know, he wants to get paid for not playing and not go down there or whatever. Well, sure enough, fachi the NBA says they're not going to play players that, can, that are able to play that aren't coming. And so he realizes he's not going to get paid for it. So he strapped his boots up and <laughs> headed down to Orlando. So. Um, uh, just real quick, I think one of the most interesting things about this time, the Pacers were good without Iledepo that season, you know. So bonus was emerging into an all-star. Brogdon had emerged as the leader. TJ Warren's taken on an, a huge, you know, he's taken a huge step in his development as a player, really connected well with Nate McMillan. He's not an all-star, but he's becoming a two-way guy that they can kind of go rely on. And they kind of had that go-to guy. To get him a bucket and Oladipo became an afterthought but everybody was excited to put him with that group but during that time Brogdon becoming the vocal leader Oladipo kind of took a step back especially during the Black Lives Matter movement during 2020 you know Brogdon was very adamant about it and we know that he was kind of the leader of all that and Oladipo kind of just sat back in the background while this happened and then you get to the bubble, and T.J. Warren is an absolute madman, goes off. And now you're thinking, the same Victor's team anymore. And I think this is where things start to get really, really interesting in terms of his longevity here in Indiana.
2: No, it's, it's true. And, and you know, well, I didn't want to interrupt you. I mean, it, it was when he didn't want to play, and then it strictly came down to, well, you're not going to get paid. And then it was immediately, oh, well, well I, I do want to play. That, to me, was the, like, I don't know how we're going to be able to make this right. Like after everything, sitting out a year and then having that extra time, you know, off d- during COVID, it just felt like that said a lot because there really were not, you know, many players or, or players of that type of magnitude that were sitting out. So when he came back, so much had changed. And I really didn't know where he fit in with this organization. But I think to the fans, they were saying like, Yeah, Vic's back, but it doesn't look like the Vic from before. I mean, we were seeing a guy that was shooting sub 40%. I mean, in games that he shot, you know, above 10 shots, the Pacers were not good that year. So it felt like a lot of things was like him trying to force it to get back to who he was on the fly when other guys really had established themselves that it really became a whole like man, like, I, I don't know where he really ranks on this team or when he's going to come back. But you started to see a lot of a lot of cracks into what's going on. And that really leads us into, you know, when it was all said and done against Miami, who a lot of us viewed as basically, you know, our rival. You know, we're seeing at the end of that series, you know, Vic really chatting it up with them. Looks like he's having a good time. That's where the infamous, you know, can I come play with y'all? really uh really started and, and at that moment right there you you want to talk about kp saying that's a gut punch that was a gut punch to the whole fan base yeah and and right over there it just felt like all of us kind of knew you know we had jay michael come on talking about saying hey you know all these people has asked that for a couple of different teams we knew how much he liked miami now he, it's rumored that he's asking Miami if he can come play with them and it just felt like it was like a man like how are we going to make this right? And, and and is it just a matter of time before he goes to like a Miami?
1: Right. And I think that was, was so interesting. It's like, we all kind of felt like the writing was on the wall. Like Vic wanted to be there. That's where he was rehabbing. Um, he could be more popular down there do more music down there. Like it makes a lot of sense why he would want to be there. And he, he was really vibing with the heat culture. And I think what was interesting when Jay Michael came on is he said that he reached out to Vic's agent multiple times about the story, he was going to come out. He said, "Hey, I'm going to share this information. You know, I'll withhold whatever you know. If Victor wants to speak and share his side, and and we'll, I'll put his side in the convert in the uh, in the story as well." Agent never responded. They declined. Never got back to him. So Jay Michael ran the story, and then they were ticked. They were they were just fed up with this report, adamantly you know denying it. But they had their chance to speak up, and this is what frustrates me about Victor. All these times he wants to say stuff, but he never wants to really give any context, give any information, doesn't want to speak on anything, just lets the rumors be the rumors, and he neither really confirms or denies them. He just kind of brushes them off, you know, cryptically through tweeting. And it and it's really frustrating. And I think during this offseason as well, Flatchy, it's pretty obvious there was some stuff going on internally with the team because Oladipo's sister. <laughs> Comes out of some drama. Oh man, I remember that day like it was like it was yesterday. Like comes on and basically says Miles Turner was the one that said Oladipo was sharing all that information, or uh, yeah, sharing all that information with his teammates. And Turner was like, "Man, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about." So anyway, in that moment, I think everybody knew like the Pacers are going to try to get rid of Oladipo, but you know, when are they going to be able to do it? And One thing we find out later is that this surgery Oladipo had did not, it was not a super successful surgery. It was good enough to get him back on there, but he was still having complications and he ended up having another surgery after he was eventually traded from the Pacers. But let's get to that, Flachie, because the Pacers probably knew the marriage was coming to an end, but they still offered Oladipo a contract that would pay him roughly $25 million a year for the next four seasons. Offered him like a hundred million dollar uh, contract extension over the next four years, he declined the deal, and that was when everybody knew. Okay, well the Pacers offered you this money. They didn't give you a max deal, but you know you're coming off one of the like most difficult injuries to return from. What are they gonna do? So they eventually just say, okay, your value is so low. Like I remember Brian Windhorst talking about it. Like Oladipo had a zero value on the market, and that's why there was no trade done until later that season. Oladipo actually played for the Pacers for, like, the first 12, 13 games. I can't remember how many it was with Nate Bjorkren. And he actually showed signs of, like, vintage Oladipo, like that Pelicans game. I'll never forget it.
2: Oh, my God. That was nice. That was was an epic game.
1: And uh, Turner hit that big three to tie it after Oladipo stole it. Um, But then, out of nowhere, they play the Kings, I believe. And then they're supposed to be playing the Warriors the next night, which they do. Oladipo is supposed to start but it doesn't start. Edmund
2: Sumner gets to start. Can you tell the people why i watched Hey, Depot had been traded. And this was, this, this caught us, I don't want to say by surprise because we we went into that off season. We went to the start of the season knowing things are going to be awkward. What are we going to do here with this? But the Pacers end up getting on being a third wheel in the Nets rockets deal. We latch on we trade uh, Oladipo for Lavert. You know, Pritchard made comments on the radio that implied Oladipo, George, you had their eyes maybe playing elsewhere. Warmer areas. We we were able to to make a trade that I thought was really you know a positive. This is a guy who didn't want to be here, turned down a contract extension, and now we're getting a player of Karis Levert's you know capabilities. I was really excited. I thought the value was phenomenal. Obviously, we know Levert ended up having you know cancer that the Pacers were able to detect, but to be able to get Levert and two second round picks for Oladipo, who did not want to be here, I thought was an awesome trade at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody knew Victor had his eyes set on a different town. And I I thought it was interesting when he went to Houston in this trade. That uh, was
2: interesting. That was,
1: you know, he was there for a few games. Like I didn't even want to go down the rabbit hole of, or the rabbit trail of, Oh, should the, the Rockets have wanted Oladipo or Levert. They would have got more for Levert. Like it, it's true. They would have, but they're in denial about that. And they're delusional about it. But with that being said, um, Oladipo went down there. He had some good moments. And there was one time where he was talking about it and, Eventually the Rockets trade him to the heat that season for like Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley, I think is what it was. Yep. And so we're like, okay. And like those guys didn't even remain with the team after they made that trade. So it's like, you could have had Levert for another year, but anyway, he goes to the heat, which is where he wanted to be all along. And I thought this was interesting because I remember Kevin Pritchard coming on local radio to talk about these deals and he kind of made a, a side comment, basically, just like, you know, when you got guys that want to play in warmer cities, warmer areas, like, he didn't say, like, oh, you know, we knew Oladipo wanted to go to Miami, but it was, like, pretty set in stone, and I think he was kind of even going back to Paul George, saying he wanted to go to the Lakers, right? California, his hometown. Like, you can't compete with Miami and Los Angeles if you're Indiana. Like, let's just be honest your destination-wise. So, long story short, he's moved on. LaVert comes in, and, you know... For me personally, I have never seen a guy become so loved by the fans so quick to be so turned on by the you know the fans turned on him so quickly, you know the, the rise in his stardom was like a here to prove himself type of thing and then he became more fixated on his stardom and, and on himself and less on the team and I think it all goes back to like that injury that he had and losing trust in that in that coaching staff and then I also really think the big thing was when Sabonis got to the all-star game, he started becoming the face of the team a little bit. TJ Warren, the bubble Warren shattered over Vic. And now Malcolm Brogdon was becoming the vocal leader in the locker room as well. So now you're basically like everything Oladipo meant to that team in seventeen eighteen was no longer there and he couldn't do anything about it because he was hurt. So for me personally, like, I get why he was frustrated. It's just like mentally he had to be going through a lot. But I don't really think outside of maybe KP making comments after the trade or, you know, basically the whole injury thing, I don't want to think the front
2: office handled it that poorly. I don't. I think the comparison between um, Paul George and Victor Oladipo is totally different. I think the front office handled the Paul George situation poorly. There's a bunch of things they could have done differently, maybe comments they shouldn't have made. Other things like that with Oladipo, I do think that this is more on Oladipo than it is the Pacers front office. I'm with you on that. That injury changed everything. Could mm-hmm. the Pacers have handled that better? Yes, they could have. But other than that, I feel like it was a big deal to Oladipo to have it really not be his team anymore, and saw other people kind of rise to the occasion and be able to, you know, flourish. And I, I think there was some sort of jealousy there. there. There was animosity, whatever you want to call it. It was evident. Everybody could see it. And, and I think at that point, it was just like, hey, you know what? You know, this this isn't my team anymore. I think it's time to go elsewhere. And I don't think he's ever going to have a team again. And I think he'll look back, and it'll take some time, but look back and say there was a time where he was loved here by the fans. He was loved, and he, I don't think he's ever going to get that love elsewhere. Quite well, like it because sometimes, man, it, it's it, it comes and it goes quickly. And that's what <laughs> it happened with Oladipo. In about three years, everything changed, maybe even two.
1: Yeah, I mean, that injury, I mean, if that injury never happens, how different is his career? How different is his Pacers tenure? I think he is the guy for a while. I mean, some people believe he was on the decline already and teams are figuring him out. But I think one thing we know about Oladipo is his game is solely relied upon at that point on his athleticism. Uh, He wasn't the shooter that he eventually became. I think he's gotten better as a shooter because he had to work on it a lot. But he wasn't a great shooter. Like, he had some big moments in the clutch. But he was really quick at getting to the basket and making smart plays and stuff like that. So, I mean, Victor, I I didn't want to see him go um, uh, in terms of, like, the way it happened, I guess I should say. Like, nobody wanted it to end that way. I mean, we all knew that eventually all good things come to an end. But it just, like, he kept digging himself a hole, and he kept pointing the blame elsewhere. And like I said, the front office had something to do with it a little bit, but not nearly as much as he makes it out to be. And that's what gets frustrating. Like, these guys, I mean, they pampered to him. Let's be honest. They did everything that he wanted really to do. They didn't hold him back. And I believe that there was even a report that said they were going to pay him the money for not going to the bubble. They were still going to pay his contract out. They weren't going to have any issues with that if he didn't want to play. They understood the risk and the safety, like the health issues and all that kind of stuff. They weren't going to hold out his paycheck, but the NBA was going to do it. It wasn't even a pacer thing. So that's interesting there. but. The one that was really interesting was him bringing up DeMontis Sabonis, okay? We know these two are close, and I'm sure they both have talked. And once again, Kevin Pritchard (laughs) saying things that gets out into the media doesn't sit well here, Fauci, with the Pacers' best player at the time, DeMontis Sabonis. You know, the whole article basically is highlighting about Miles Turner wanting a bigger role or wanting to be traded out of Indiana. And in this whole conversation, you know, Pritchard even talks about, well, when Turner hits free agency, we'll – you know we'll we'll see what offers are out there but he also said that the team is still trying to manufacture that real star and Sabonis is coming off of two all-star appearances that did not sit well with
2: him one of the worst comments you could have made in that situation because you're looking at this Pacers team and they're lacking a star yet you have a back-to-back all-star and you're not learning from the mistakes of not appreciating your previous stars so I don't know when, right when that comment came out, I want to say the fan base was 100% in agreement that it was like, that's a comment you don't make because Sabonis, he's, he's a simple guy, not a flashy guy on social media, not someone who needs to be kind of in the spotlight. I truly feel that that's someone that if the Pacers could have, you know, painted more as their star, maybe things could have been differently. Is he? Does he have a, a lower ceiling than like a Paul George? Yes, he does. But I just feel like if you're the Pacers and you're not that big market, you have to make your stars feel like stars. And the Pacers failed in that instance right there.
1: Yeah, and and the Pacers have done a good job of learning from their mistakes. So and me for me personally, they were going all out praising Oladipo when he got here, right? Like just absolutely, you know, worshiping the ground that he walked on. Well, then when Sabonis becomes this all star. You know, it, it felt like during the name era, there was reports from multiple people that he gave special treatment to him and Brogdon, right? You know, him and Brogdon would eat lunch together all the time and then Sabonis and them would get special treatment that other players on the team weren't getting. And, you know, there's been rumors that, you know, Sabonis' ego was starting to get a little bit bigger, stuff like that. But I will say this, I give credit to Domas because he never went to the media about his frustrations with anything. Um, even after he got traded, he didn't bash the Pacers at all, and and basically just said, you know, I just want to be on a team that wants me, and you know, they they traded me, so obviously they didn't want me long term. So you know, I'm here to do my best to help the Kings win. Like I, I was went back and watched him interviews today just to kind of get some backstory on what his you know relationship was like, and and it might have been damaged a little bit by Pritchard saying what he had to say, but we know that Pritchard had to come in there multiple times into the locker room to try to you know diffuse any kind of fires over you know in there right now because it just felt like Bjorken didn't know what he was doing but i personally feel like the reason that Pritchard said that about manufacturing a star number 1 the team was struggling and number 2 he was trying to make sure that all these players knew like no one's above anybody else because they already had that the last two guys that he lost and Paul George and Oladipo, guys that became bigger than the team and he knows in a small market if you have guys that think they're bigger than the team You're going to eventually lose them, and you're going to lose that team chemistry. I think he was trying to say that in terms of, like, we got to build that team chemistry. You know, no one's better than anybody else. But he also ends up putting his foot in his mouth a little bit by saying that. And I think now, like you said, they didn't give him enough credit for being that all-star. Look at how they're treating Tyrese Halliburton now. They're kind of going back to the ways that they had been before, where they're praising that guy they're viewing as their franchise player.
2: They are doing everything right with Tyrese Halliburton. We're seeing him pop up in a bunch of events. It seems like he's really like getting his his, his face, his name out there. And the Pacers are—they know what they have here. And uh, and when it comes, and they need to do everything to protect what they have here. And I think that Halliburton is extremely humble. I think he's the perfect person to fit this Pacers team as the face of the team. And whatever it is, to be honest. This is someone that you should have involved in some sort of decisions. I'm not saying, hey, you know, let's have Halliburton pick the next coach or anything even like that. But it's like, let the guy have some say because for other teams, I think they are having players have some say. And and you got to keep a guy like Halliburton happy because if someone as, you know, someone as as, as genuine as him wants to then leave, then I don't know who we're going to be able to keep here.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think Carlisle being here has helped a little bit. I think so. Just because of his experience dealing with players, being able to talk to him. And I think that's one thing that we talked about a little bit. The front office has been very communicative with their guys when they're going to be involved in trade talks. So I'm assuming that, you know, either Chad or Kevin or somebody, you know, Kelly, she was letting these guys know, like Jeremy, like you know, Justin Holiday, like Sabonis, Like, hey, you're potentially going to be in a trade. Like they're keeping them in the know because they don't want to have bad feelings but with that being said you know obviously the trade made a lot of sense the team was rebuilding so it wasn't like Sabonis wanted out but we have to be honest there have been reports over the last couple of years that Sabonis didn't want to be in Indiana whether that was true or not Sabonis never said it the Pacers never said it or you know confirmed or denied it basically it was just like you know nobody ever said anything on it but the main reason was is that Sabonis's wife lived in California and he wanted to be out there um after the trade happened I did some some sourcing and talking to some people and it was kind of like an internal thing they thought he might leave once he was an unrestricted free agent they just weren't sure and so i think like the unknown or the uncertainty of if they could have, you know kept him long term made it easier to move off of him but also getting halliburton i mean i think if you're projecting no offense to domas but i think halliburton potentially has a better chance of being a better nba player overall no doubt based on position right so nothing there, but I will say this the Kings have done nothing but love Domas, right? Mm-hmm. Brought him in, said, Hey, we want you to get us back to the playoffs. Okay, that's a cool number one task. Number two, it hadn't been done in a long time. So it's like, okay, we, we really traded one of our main pieces for you to get us there. And number three, they allowed him to be a part of their coaching search. And they ended that's up hiring Mike Brown. Stuff. They they it's important to them, they want to feel like their voice is important. And so the Pacers have been so old school. I'm assuming that by the way that Herb Simon's allowing them to go out and offer, you know, these max offer sheets and and make these kind of moves to tank. We're seeing a change in the Pacers. And so for sure, the Pacers messed up. There's been plenty of stuff here that you can kind of look at and say, okay, the Pacers could have done this better, but at the same time, the players could have done stuff better too. So it's not just on the front office. I think it's, both sides made their mistakes, but you got to realize at the end of the day, it's a business, and everybody wants different things at the end of the day. And if you're not on the same page, you got to move on.
2: No, it, it's true, and I, I think that the Kings are handling that well. But also, I love how like we all heard that Sabonis' wife wants to move back to California. I don't know where that started from, but I can tell you that I believed it. I always felt like I was like, oh man, she's gonna pry him away from Indiana, isn't she? <laughs> And I felt that in my gut. And, and you know, there was a good chance that maybe Sabonis wasn't going to resign. You know, we'll never know. But I imagine the Pacers probably had a good feeling about it. And as big of Sabonis guys as you and I were, at the end of the day, we're not idiots. That was a home run trade that the Pacers pulled off. And I could not be happier. So, hey, Sabonis, best of luck in Sacramento. I think that's honestly a team that probably fits him well as – You know, Sabonis doesn't strike. you as the guy who wants to be in the spotlight of like, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers or the Clippers, like Sacramento, it's still in California. It's a team that he could be, you know, uh, like a 1B or, you know, that type of option over there. So I think that was a trade that just worked out for both teams. But also we got to maybe, you know, try and take a page out of what the Nuggets and Bucks are doing because they've made Giannis and Jokic feel special, but they've also surrounded them with talent. Maybe some of that is drafting better, like what the Nuggets have done with Jamal Murray and, and you know, Michael Porter Jr. and stuff like that. But also, you know, for Giannis, I mean, you got a guy that right over there, the odds were stacked against the Bucs to keep him. Well, you know what? They went out there and they ponied up and they traded like four first-round picks for Drew Holiday to bring in, a, you know, an established player that could help them win. And They got the job done. So the Pacers know they're going to make some changes. We talked about it but they're going to have to spend a little bit more. They're going to have to have their star player, you know, more involved in some of these decisions. That's what it's going to take to keep your own. And right now the perception about the Pacers is that they can't keep their own.
1: Yeah. And I would say based off their trade history and the three guys we're talking about, you know, they've traded their three best players over the last five years. Right. So that's where it looks kind of fishy. Like, okay, can we really trust this front office? But I will say this, you know, First of all, Oladipo and Sabonis are not on the same level as Paul George. Every situation is different. I think the most important thing to realize, though, is the Pacers aren't using, you know, know, they're not a farm system for the rest of the NBA to come get their players. Like, that's not how it is. But if you look at PG and Oladipo, their value is probably at the lowest in terms of what you got back in a trade, okay? Um, You know, Paul requesting a trade, like you mentioned, was bad for the team, but they were still able to get something good out of it. They ended up getting Oladipo and Sabonis. Oladipo, zero, zero value. I mean, really, the fact that they got Kyrus avert for him was mind-boggling, okay? Sabonis had amazing value and still had two years left on his deal, and they traded him for Halliburton. And that's what they were smart in doing, realizing Sabonis' you know, cap, right, what he could reach potential-wise, but also realizing, okay we can move off of him and get a guy that probably makes more sense for our team moving forward. So they traded Sabonis to me at the right time because he still had a lot of value and they didn't end up getting, you know, 25 cents on the dollar. They probably ended up getting a buck 25 on the dollar for the trade.
2: Absolutely. They traded him at the perfect time, got ahead of it. There was no Sabonis asking for a trade or anything. And and the return that they got was, was great. I mean, if it was just a trade for just, Halliburton would have been great, but to even get a guy like Buddy who you could still then flip for another first round pick potentially. I mean, all around you had to be on board with that trade and the direction of the Pacers.
1: Yeah. So for sure. I think we're both, you know, we're probably more team uh, Pacers than we are team Oladipo in this conversation, but I think at the same time it's situational from both sides. And um, but that being said, Fachi, I think that wraps it up. So let us know who you are. If you're Team Vic, let us know why. If you're Team, you know Pacers did all they could, tell us why. Or if you think that they're somewhere in the middle, let us know. But Faji, where can people find us out on social media?
2: Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they could check us out on YouTube.
1: YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Just look us up. We have great interviews and stuff over there. Subscribe so we can get to a thousand subscribers. But at the end of the day, if you are jacked up to be a fan of the Indiana Pacers, then say these three words Let's go, Pacers! to the top setting the pace going to the top this is your number one podcast sweeping every team we gonna need a mop smooth.
3: everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium